The art world gathers at the Javits Center this September 8th through 10th for one of the most anticipated cultural events of the fall, the Armory Show, New York's Art Fair. Enjoy priority booking. Buy your tickets today at thearmoryshow.com. Welcome to the Harper's Podcast. I'm your host, Dismantled CIA Love Cult. Or so might my guest, Richard E. Maltby Jr., render my name in an anagram in one of his electrifying puzzle hints. Or would that be, to mix the letters of my name in a different way, a voltaic clue? Hello, Richard. Uh, well, we just want to know whether we have established a, a suitable arcane tone, and you certainly have done so. <laughs> Um, I'm also joined by the man who helped me out with those insane anagrams, because I, I cannot do it. Hello, Roddy. Uh, hi, Violet. I'm one of Richard's puzzle editors and testers at Harper's, um, and I write cryptic crosswords for The Independent and the Oxford Review of Books in the UK. Under a pseudonym? Under a pseudonym. Quince. The pseudonym Quince. Ooh, why Quince? Arcane. Uh, I was <laughs> writing coursework on, of all things, uh, garlic in... Uh, Midsummer Night's Dream, and more broadly Shakespearean botany, uh, and the combination of that with Edward Lear runcible spoons, it seemed like an appropriately uh, an arbitrarily random and niche reference to make. <laughs> didn't didn't Shakespeare invent the word apricot? Or I just remember that from like one of the Enderby novels. Oh, he might well have done. Uh, yeah. That was beyond the remit of my very shoddy undergraduate coursework essay. <laughs> Um, <laughs> yes, very shoddy. This deep, this deep investigation. Oh my god! Um, <laughs> but, but let's 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 uh, take a step back and, <laughs> and ask and ask some sort of let's let's not plunge uh, headlong into the arcane, the archaic any more than we. Have, have but you, we will get to it. We you mean if, if anyone is still listening after the introduction? <laughs> this is gonna be edited. This is gonna be edited. Don't worry. Um, <laughs> So, so. Um, I mean, we'll. That, that's an introduction that will certainly separate the sheep from the goats. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, those of you who are still out there, well, you, have yeah. we got a show for you? Have we got a show for you? Um, I'll resist the temptation to quote your own clues back at you, Richard. Mm -hmm. So, let's start with one of your lyrics instead. In the song "Crossword Puzzle," you composed with David Shire. There's a bit about feeling numb to the lines of overly obscure clues in the Sunday Times crossword, as if they have some kind of anesthetic quality. Were you a fan of, for want of a better word, normal crosswords before you got into the cryptic ones? Oh, sure. Oh, yeah, yeah. But uh, um, in the in the old days, the Eugene, it ended with Eugene Maleska, uh, there were... Um, you know, they were crossword puzzle words. These are words that existed. They were real words, but in fact, they were known only as uh, entries in crossword puzzles. But when Will Shorts came in, he banned obscure words and opened the door to trade names and to uh, basically pop culture, which was great. It expanded the audience to younger people. Lots of references to pop songs these days. Um, the old, <laughs> the old uh, uh, crossword audience has no idea what you're talking about. But those are those the ones that you have no no hesitation to look up, mm. you know. And I mean, did cryptics awake you from that numbness that you described? Oh, um, well, I think probably my mind being numb is in there because it rhymed with dumb. But um, you kind of get your meaning from your. <laughs> when you want it. Yeah, I mean, cryptic puzzles were uh, completely unknown to me, and uh, as to most anybody here. And uh, do you want to know the history of it in the United uh, States? Well, I mean, I mean, when, when was the, when was your first? Account? Oh, well, here's when, when. Oh, this is all about you. In the 60s, no, in the, well, it is me about. In the 60s, uh, when New York Magazine was starting, Steve Sondheim asked to introduce English cryptic puzzles to America, which he did in the very first issue. A big, long, wonderful, 
article on the nature of clues, uh, sort of an instruction book on how to how to solve the puzzles, and the first puzzle, and and he did one every week for uh, a whole year, which is quite something. Uh, I mean, but it was a time of his life when. Um, Nobody was taking him seriously as a composer, and he was depressed all the time, and um, and that seemed to you know fill up his time. After one year, he started doing it every three weeks, and the other two weeks they were they invented something called the New York Competition, which was a a series of things where where readers were invited to to create like punchlines to jokes and things like that, and um, and there would be a winner every week, and that lasted for. A little while until Sondheim was going to go into rehearsal with Company, which was a big musical, and he couldn't even do them every three weeks, so he was going to drop them. I had from the very first, that first issue and that first article that he wrote, I become, uh, you know, crazed. I mean, it's total word nut anyway, and and. Uh, so I did them every week, and I loved doing them. Once or twice when he was in trouble, I, I, I asked whether I could do a puzzle, and he did that, so I, we printed a couple of mine. Um, and he was really happy because it was a week he didn't have to make, a, make up a puzzle. And uh, so when he was going to drop it, I said, could I take over? And he said, sure. And he introduced me to Clay Felker, who was the publisher of the magazine, who had no idea <laughs> why I would want to do it, but if I wanted to do it, the puzzle, the puzzles were very popular. So I took over from Sondheim, and, uh, and I did that for, oh, I don't know, 10 or 15 years, and then uh, I got very busy, and I had to drop it. Uh, I stayed out of it until somewhere in the 70s, I guess, Harper's asked me if I would do one, and that would be only one every four weeks, and I thought that was perhaps doable. And by then I had a partner who actually, his name was Ed Galley, and he actually did the diagrams and did the first pass at Clues, and then I would edit it and work with him on it. But he did most of the hard work. And that lasted for a good long while. Then he had a heart attack along the way and suddenly he couldn't uh, do them, so I had to take them over while he was doing that. Uh, and he didn't actually recover uh, enough to do it, and um, so uh, by then I was doing it every month, and I have been doing it every month since then, which is for like 30 years, I guess. Yeah. No, I mean, it's. Um, I I'm struck by the fact that, you know, Sondheim is a music man, and you yourself are a music man. Do you feel like there's something well, about the? It's the lyrics. It's mm. it, it's it it's that lyric writing is very very definitely um, technical manipulation of language. You have something you want to say, but unlike prose, you you're you know you you have a certain number of beats. You have high notes and low notes. You have a a graph of the meaning. So your meaning has to conform to a to a shape. And um, you know the, the the whole thing becomes how can you twist this wonderful language to to say what you want to say and conform to the musical obligations uh, and have it sound graceful and as if you have no there was no effort involved. I mm -hmm. promise you there was effort involved. <laughs> I mean you just yeah I you just all the time find yourself with with one or two. Uh, there's a sentence, it's the perfect sentence, but it uses the word determined. And you want to have a something that's only, you only have two syllables. So you go and rack your brain to come up with a, another word that means determined, but is only two syllables. Oh, resolved, how about that? Resolved works. But then resolved is also not a word that the character would actually use. So you're kind of not saved and so you then have to but maybe there's another locution maybe the the sentence could be constructed differently and that so that you the concept of determined is in there but but not the, the words and you you know yeah. you go spend mm, you know i've spent a week on a couple of lines these and finally gotten a some a really graceful solution, which then of course goes by and nobody even notices there was any effort, because <laughs> the absence of effort is the is the 
is the the point of it all. And I think, Richard, you're right. Uh, it's not just you and Sondheim. You know, Edward Elgar, for example, and Johnny Dankworth were also composers and musicians who were fans of the crossword. Well, yeah, so Stephen Schwartz was did them, uh, Sheldon Harnick did them, a couple of others who I can't remember right now, but it, it definitely appeals to people who are, you know, in, in the language manipulation business. And are there any crossword strategies that you've tried transposing into music or vice versa? There's a famous clue that comes to mind about the word deflate based on the chord D, E flat and E, for instance. And it strikes me oh, that there no. are sort of very technical things that they might have in common quite often. Oh, you mean D changes to E flat? I mean, that's, uh, e, oh yeah, sure. No, I don't. I can't think of one offhand. I probably will the moment this show's over. Or, or sort of <laughs> m- music determined by constraints like palindromes or uh, that kind of thing. Um, no, I mean, the, the uh, you know, uh, as people know that there are two, elements of the puzzle there is the puzzle within the puzzle there's the there's the puzzle clues and you enter the your answers in the diagram and then there is always a second puzzle that once you have done that you have to figure out why these things what certain things have in common every entry in the diagram has an unchecked letter that is a letter that is not crossed by some other word unlike other uh, you know standard crosswords in which every letter is checked and the reason that it's unchecked is that you, the uh, puzzle constructors want you to be to have to finish the puzzle. You have to get the last and correct word, uh, um, so that uh, you can't just find the solution because you got all the across words. You know. I mean, cryptics are full of weird and just strange conventions, and one of the complaints new solvers often has is how steep the learning curve is. Is this something you ran into yourself or do you I did, yes. Yeah. But um, the thing is, well, if anybody wants to, I mean, they wants to, they can, you know, just write to Harper's and I'll send you a, 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 an, an instruction sheet. Um, <laughs> um, no, I mean, it's very, there, there are six or seven standard structural, uh, you know, ideas. And, um, and once you kind of learn to read the code, you know, if you see the word backwards or back or anything like that, you know that it's going to be a reversal. It's going to be a, a word spelled backwards, mm-hmm. you know. Um, I mean, cheese made backwards. Edom made backwards. Mm. You know? um, unlike crossword, standard crossword puzzles, which are basically a definition, and you, you know the answer or you don't. I must say that Will Schwartz's puzzles have 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 uh, introduced the concept of um, misleading puns, play, uh, plays on words, which are which is really a lot of fun. You see a word, uh, you know, like there's one uh, recently in today's in Sunday's puzzle, which was bovine gathering. Well, it sounds like a herd or something like that. But it's Roundup. Mm. It's the gathering of cows. So it, you know, it, it it works off of the of of the uh, the language. Um, the a, 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 a cryptic clue is in two parts. Half of it is a straight definition, although everything will be done to make you make you you know mis, to mislead you about it. And the second half is a description of how it's spelled or how it looks, or how it sounds, uh, a second thing, so that if you solve the clue, there is only one answer to it. Mm. Unlike a definition in a crossword puzzle, you know, pretty, well, there are 15 different words, but if pretty goes there, and then there's another description of some other part, you'll get beautiful out of it, you know, because that's the only answer it could possibly be. Roddy, do you want to go to the thing about the backwards repunctuating the clues? So, Richard, the Harper's puzzle tells its solvers to mentally repunctuate the clues in order to solve them. Mm-hmm. I, get, I suppose I'm wondering: is this also how you think about writing them? Do, are you thinking um, yeah. in a sort of personified posture, yes. of a sort of torturous, yes, tricking people, misleading them, as you put it? 
if you're going to do that, if you're going to do something that's tricky, then you have to be fair. What's really annoying is if you get the answer and it doesn't seem fair, like there were extra words in the, in the clue that shouldn't have been there. So if indeed half of the clue is the, is the definition and the other half is the subsidiary part of it, that those two distinctions need to be clear. And you can't toss in a couple of extra words which in fact don't belong in the clue. They are not part of either the definition or the subsidiary, but they're there to make it an interesting clue. That is a no-no. That is not fair because there are two words in that clue that do not support the answer. So when I, I do a whole set of clues and then I send it, I have three testers that I send it to, one of which is Roddy and um, one of whom is Roddy and uh, <laughs> could be which too. Uh, and and uh, uh, they are bigger nerds than even I am, uh, Roddy. <laughs> You say yes, uh, and, uh, and and they um, they always hold me to that all the time. It didn't seem fair. That didn't seem to be an actual meaning of the word pretty. That seemed, you know. And very often they suggest alternatives, and very often I use their alternatives um, because they are really clever. I use, you know, one or two of Roddy's every month. Speaking of, um, well, I suppose, ret retaliating to the charge of nerdiness, um, the introduction to British crosswords that you mentioned earlier, written by Stephen Sondheim, thought of cryptic crosswords as both quintessentially British and also demanding a warped mind. And it struck me that these yes, things well, might be the same things, more often than not. But I wonder, if, <laughs> do you think that there are different sensibilities on either side of the Atlantic that have meant that... Um, the cryptic crossword has been historically more popular in the UK than in the States. Well, it's a it's a it's a it's a uh, UK invention, and uh, it's beginning to it's beginning to grow over here. Um, the New York Times does a cryptic puzzle, you know, every eight weeks or so, um, and uh, some of them are are, are pretty you know, pretty clever. The thing about the Brits is that there's much more just plain interest in language in in England, and uh, and that's the uh, the defining difference. Americans don't care that much about you know etymology and and uh, um, Latin sources and and all that stuff. Uh, um, I think it, you're I mean, doing it's, yourself it's, a disservice. Because I wonder, well, even if, if nowadays, you know, language on the internet has changed the way so many young people in particular speak in real life, or IRL, as you might say. And depending on the publication, yes, you'll see varying levels of tolerance for slangier abbreviations and idiom plucked from the internet. Oh, I... I, I think so I, that I think that's true, yeah. But but that but it, it, though that used usually leads to the demolishment of language, not the not the expansion of it. So that's I something know. I want to ask I, you about. I am H O. So you you recognize value in cleaving to traditional abbreviations, grammar, syntax, or do you think cryptic well, crosswords have anything to gain from a more skeptical or slightly anarchic approach to traditional language? It's it's the other way around, actually. It's that the English language um, is unique in the world. It is the only language that actually doesn't exist. There is no such thing as the English language. The English language is an entirely borrowed language from Anglo-Saxon to Norwe Norwegian to the you know the French um, uh, invasion, the uh, the, the um, uh, Catholic Church and and all of the Latinites and the the um, and the Greek roots of language, uh, all of those things just pile on top. Of them. Then then the British Empire, which brought in Arabic words and Indian words and Japanese words. So as a result, English is a language that we understand in good faith. We understand. Uh, we understand what something means because of the context and how we go about doing it is really amazing because the you know these words in front of us 
means so many things, but we know from the context that it, this is the only meaning that it has. Or, if you are witty, you use the double meaning against you. You know, that, that's, that's, uh, um, that's what a pun is. Um, and uh, so what these puzzles do to people who love language is they try to trick you. They try to make you think that uh, that the, we want that when you see lead, we want the word meaning to to be in the front of the parade or to tell people what to do. When in fact the definition is going to be about lead, the metal, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, there's actually no reason in the world why lead the metal and lead the person who leads something. Um, are the same are spelled the same way um and if and i may richard i think i can illustrate that with a clue that you wrote fairly recently which i think weaponizes that assumption we often make about syntax uh, and, and illustrates it quite well uh, the clue is eager to get letters sent off correspond now obviously in the surface reading of that correspond is supposed to denote a sort of transaction you know sending letters to each other a form of communication yeah. But if you send the letters off of the word eager, you get agree, which means correspond in a different context. And so I think you're oh, there right. you go. It's, it's something that, that that's exa- William Empson called a- double syntax when he talks about ambiguity. It, Every word exactly sort of means so. something else. Yeah. And and uh I mean my goal my goal is to is to have people laugh. I want people to you know, when you suddenly realize agree Oh, eager is an anagram of that, and it means correspond. In the other sense, you had me. I was staring there trying to think of, of, of why the letters would correspond. Like, ah, you got me. And if you are, you know, in a good mood, you'll laugh. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and, and Sondheim mentions it in that in, instruction that he, they said, he said that, that uh, you know, you, you, you're, you take a train in from... from uh, outside of London into your workspace and and suddenly there'll be this wild chuckle from someone <laughs> you've never seen down the aisle because he just got one yeah. you know and 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 it's it's the it's the fun I, I I did one which I really liked which is Eisenhower Republican follows the lead of Herschel Walker Herschel Walker being a person who ran for senator from Georgia, and he was a black a man running for, for, uh, for senator from Georgia, and, and he didn't win, but he was uh, notably not suited for the job. He was not, uh, and he kept making terrible verbal gaffes. So Eisenhower Republican follows the lead of Herschel Walker. Eisenhower is Ike, that was his nickname. Republican is R follows the lead of Herschel, that's H, the lead of Herschel, the, meaning the first letter in Herschel. So put H in front of Ike and R, and you have Walker, hiker. So, we, you know, you would, you would read that, and you would not think that there had... You would not think of it as anything except some strange um, uh, description of, of a news bulletin about, <laughs> about Georgia politics. Um, and uh, I mean that's the sort of thing you kind of try to do I suppose one of the strange things about being a crossword setter is that if we extend the scenario that Sondheim talks about you write the puzzle it goes through editing and then a month or two later you're not around to hear the laugh on the train you're not there to see people have the penny drop moment so is that something you feel that you you miss or do you feel like you have an, an active and interactive relationship with the people that solve your puzzles well, I guess in the theater you do get, you know, if it's a joke, they laugh and you hear it. <laughs> you know, you get your... Mm. your but, you know, uh, uh, people tell me that they, you know, this song we wrote changed their life and uh, they sang it at their wedding and uh, I sang this for my father at my father's funeral. And it's, you know, we're really touched by it and... and, uh, and as I say, we go into this business to communicate to people, but when it happens, you're never there. 
So that's it's that's the same. It's the same thing. It's the thing we live. But then all, all writers live with that. Mm. They write a, You write a book, and then somebody comes out and says it changed their life, and then they describe why it changed their life. And usually, with their description, it has nothing to do with the book you wrote. Mm. You know, but okay, that's what we do. You know, I think there are many people, myself included, who arrived at Harper's through the puzzle, through the back page, rather than through uh, the essays or the reviews at first. So do you have an imaginary Harper's reader in mind when you write the puzzles? Or is it, no, as you said, I, more of a case I, of um, writing to yourself and enjoying the sort of chance and contingent sort of penny drop moments that you're dispensing, sort of programming yes. how people read, but also yeah. being enjoy, uh, enjoying and being surprised by the things you hadn't thought of and the connections you haven't made. You don't have quite the freedom to to simply enjoy uh, the process by itself because the puzzle, the puzzle when you have the grid, delivers the words that so you are stuck with finding a uh, you know a, a, a definite. I mean, I looked at the word hiker and I thought that is a dull word. I can't find. <laughs> There's nothing in it. Hiker has let, it is not an anagram, H-I-K-E-R, what is that? And then I saw Ike, and then R, and then the absolute fortuitousness of there being a person named Herschel Walker in the news. Oh, and now it's one of my favorite clues. But there was a period when it was, uh, you know, what on earth am I going to do with that? And I, I sometimes, you know, I'm stuck putting in something that I don't like all that much, at which point my testers usually come through with something. Um, and it's, uh, it's great. Well, can I ask, you know, how, you know, you mentioned that there are certain types of patterns for traditional cryptics, but how do you even start to create that design do you have the ideas of clues in your head are there because herschel walker is in the news and he's saying this absurd stuff are you like i should really get that guy in my no, next no, script you, you, you don't have that kind of of, of freedom at all mm -hmm. um you you come up with it with a uh, an idea in that particular puzzle um there are uh, three famous people and and by the addition of a couple of letters, you change their um, you change their name to see something else, and that's and the, each of them is kind of funny, mm -hmm. and so that's the device. You put those names in, transformed. There's also a phrase that defines the transformation. So and then you put those in the diagram, and then you fill the, fill out the diagram, and you just make what choices you can make. Occasionally. Very, very occasionally, I'll, there's a word that I really like and I want to do a, you know, and if there's a diagram that's coming in and I can fit it in, I do, but not very often. Mostly it's what works. <laughs> On the flip side of that, Richard, are there themes that you have in mind, attempt and abandon, or are you normally pretty stubborn about seeing an idea through to completion? Uh well, there have been there have been ideas that are so complicated I, I, I give up on them because even I can't figure them out. Uh, uh, I can't think of an example right now, but but uh, um, there's one coming up that it uh, it, re it, it requires there to be five words that mean something similar, and there aren't really five words that mean that. And, I look uh, forward to testing so, uh, it. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I don't think you will because I I, can, I, I can't uh, figure out how to how to do it. Um, there's an alternative way of doing it, which um, I might I might try, but it's a uh, it's tricky. Well, right, you know, you do you ever take pleasure in solving uh, puzzles that you've designed and forgotten from the past yes oh i'm 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 constant the thing is that there there are uh there puzzle there are a, a, a quite a number of of uh 
standard puzzle within a puzzle things. Mm -hmm. One's called a theme and variation, where there's a thing like Athos, Porthos, and Aramis, and then each of those has has two variations, like Aramis would have two cologne names, and Athos would be, uh, I don't know, or Porthos would be a, a, an anagram of Athos, say, or something like I'm that. I'm nodding my head like I understand Like you understand, but yeah, you anyway, <laughs> you do that. Or, or uh, uh, there are just a bunch of words that are linked in some way, and you have to figure out what it is, that, that what the linking is. Um, or there are, um, like there was just one recently that was all made up of, uh, uh, there was a set of, 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 it was called plus fours, and it's a whole series of, of four-letter words, and you had to figure out where they went in the diagram. But half of the clues were more than four letters, and those you could put, put in, and then you had to figure out where did the four letters go. But some of them, some of them had to be to go together, like perpetuities is actually three. It's perp, etui, E-T-U-I, and ties. So you had to solve three words, three puzzles of four-letter words, and then you had to put them together. Oh, my gosh. Um, <laughs> malefactions was another one. Mm. Uh, and then there were a bunch of eight-letter words that were two put together, like scarcity. So you've described a bit, you know, your relationship with your solvers. Have you, have you, you I mean, because I say, I'll, I'll tell you, I put every issue of Harper's online. I put every single article into the website. Subscribers get, subscribers get every puzzle that Richard has ever designed for Harper's. That's with true. With a get the past. 2197 subscription, all of them. For just just there for you, but anyway, <clears throat> shameless plug. But I I will say if there's ever a problem with the website and somebody can't get to your latest puzzle, they are furious, and oh, I find really? out immediately. Yes, these oh, well, that's the puzzle enough. the puzzle the cryptic uh, solvers are very devoted. So I have to ask you, <laughs> someone who's suffered their wrath, do you ever get mail from them, feedback from them, any sort of... I don't. I, 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 I just recently wrote to Charlie Lee, who edits the puzzles for me, mm-hmm. and I said, how many, how many uh, you know, submissions do you get? And he said, about 500. And I thought, oh, I, I thought there'd be like 50. You know? um, and, uh, and, and most people who do them don't submit. Exactly. So you, you know, it's a big multiple of that. But what's really interesting to me is that the winners, which is the only kind of sign that I know where they, people come from, come from everywhere. Yeah. They're, I mean, you know, places where you wouldn't think arcane language puzzles would, you know, only because we're such snobs. <laughs> you know, but, you know, you think of uh, Nebraska, somebody has, does the puzzle from Nebraska. I'm from Iowa, and I agree with you. There you go. Nebraska. Well, okay. I, I don't want to hurt anyone. No, no. I don't want to offend anybody. But I'm just just saying that it it's it startles me. Um, most of the winners do not come from New York. Yeah. And that, um, in fact, that when there's a New York winner, it's kind of uh, surprising, which is good. They're I mean, what 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 holds the country together is is the the diversity of of, uh, <laughs> of different nerd populations. And, uh, you know. Well, but you, why That's not? True. I mean, of That's course, true. it also you know sinks the sinks the ship of state with uh, crazy people who you know. Anyway, we won't go there. But but. Um, uh, it's it's wonderful. I, some of them, a few, have sent me letters, and I've replied, and and they continue to sort of keep a a a, 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 a conversation going. Some of them, I mean, I encourage them to tell me what they thought. You know, what what clue did they like? You know, just to find out what's going on out there. Yeah. Well, Roddy, you know, you you are a fan who's gotten. The, the ultimate job. Can you can you tell us about your research and what sort of work you put into this and how you assist Richard and Sure. So um 
I applied to be an editorial intern at Harper's last year, and I think I spent most of my interview chatting about the Christmas 2021 puzzle that had just come out. Um, and when I made it over to New York, I would always hit my lunch break and then sneak off into the archive room at the back of the office, pluck out an issue of Harper's at random and try and do the puzzle before the lunch break was over. And I wasn't always successful, but by the end of the six months, almost my entire cubicle wall was papered over with solved puzzles. Uh, not to mention an array of little <laughs> puzzle boxes for some of the three-dimensional puzzles that Richard has designed before. Uh, incidentally, while I mention it, one of the pioneers of information theory, called Claude Shannon, um, wrote in 1948 about how crosswords are related to redundancy in language. And he hypothesized that 3D crosswords wouldn't be possible in English, which is something that Richard has inadvertently disproven with the uh, various dodecahedra and cube puzzles that he's written. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, anyway, well, I didn't, I I, of course, I didn't make those up, you know, uh, that, that device was made up by somebody else. But once, they, once you have d made up a, a, a puzzle device, it's like it, the world owns it. Everybody can do one. Yeah. Anyway, I got in touch with Richard, um, sent him a puzzle I'd recently written for The Independent, and we spoke for about an hour on the phone that evening before arranging to meet for lunch. And since then, he's kindly uh, well, invited me to be one of his testers and editors. So I'm one of a team of three, albeit very new to the fold. Um, as for my research, I've just started a DPhil um, at the University of Oxford on puzzles, essentially. Um, I'm lucky enough to be working directly on something that's always been a hobby. So I work on, and often with, admittedly, puzzlements as a feature of early 20th century poetry. Um, if I had to reduce the, um, if I had to reduce it down to an elevator pitch, I'm essentially arguing that modernist poetry was and is so often thought of as puzzling that it's almost a critical shorthand, but there hasn't been much attention paid to the actual puzzles that inform that adjective. Specifically, in my work, the cryptic crosswords um, that emerged out of standard crosswords in the States, the cryptic crosswords that were wrestled with over breakfast by writers like T.S. Eliot, uh, Auden, Empson, Veronica Forrest-Thompson, and writers like that. Other writers too, Ezra Pound, who abhorred crosswords. He called them an abomination in his ABC of reading. Um, <laughs> but there's a whole wealth of uh, archival material and newspaper clippings from all your favorite modernist writers um, of crosswords that they've collected, attempted, written themselves. And so I spend my days looking around lovely archives and trying my hand at puzzles that people like T.S. Eliot haven't been able to finish. Well, that's good. I do. I do. Um, when I when I I'm looking. Sometimes I just open up, you know, 2003, and just look at the puzzles and see if I if there's any device that would be fun to use again, uh, you know. And uh, in the course of that, I sometimes find a puzzle that I can't remember doing, and uh, and I solve try to solve the clues, and some of them stump me. Mm. I mean, I just so. How does that work? And then when I get the answer, I burst into, you know, <laughs> loud applause. Well, well, that's something I wanted to ask about, Richard. That there's a line in Emerson about good art being something that lets our own, quote, discarded thoughts return to us with alienated majesty. And given that oh, you're okay. sort of returning to your own puzzles, often at the length of decades away, uh, and being stumped mm -hmm. by them, I wondered how... Where does your experience of that fall on the spectrum between majesty and alienation? <laughs> oh dear! Oh, I don't know. It 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 uh, because puzzles you don't just sit down and write them. They sort of grow and you you know and they change. And sometimes you end up with with having made a change at the last minute that was really good, um, but you don't remember it because you made it just at the last minute. Um, but I I I, I enjoy seeing the old the old puzzles and they sometimes completely you know take me by surprise i mean everybody that you mentioned all of those poets are the the poets who rhyme uh and and who who stay with scansion and everything i can't imagine that too many of the modern poets uh the ones who are published in the new yorker <laughs> who um <laughs> I, I read the first three lines and try to figure out what on earth they're talking about. They don't sound, they don't read like poetry to me. They read like 
prose written in funny shapes. And I wonder what the fun of that is, because they don't dance with music the way that Keats or Shelley does, or even T.S. Eliot or or, uh, A.A. Milne. I mean, Milne is absolutely amazing because he writes those beautiful little verses for children, and you can't read them wrong. You can't miss. You can't misaccent them, um, and that's really amazing. I suppose that's one of the difficult and contradictory things about clues is that, strictly speaking, you can't read them wrong because their own solution is embedded in them in the form of instructions. Yeah, and at the same time, yeah. they are they are engines of bafflements, and it's designed to be well. They, they it is it is designed to be read wrong. It's mm. designed to 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 uh, see correspond as a different word. The whole, the fact that there is a sentence, that's what I mean. We understand ourselves in English by a, a mutual consent. We uh, sort of agree to understand that that's what we mean. And, uh, and um, so the, the clues use that mutuality by the fact that it looks like a sentence. As soon as it looks like a sentence, then you automatically know that correspond is going to be that meaning of correspond and not another meaning. Oh, then you find out that it actually means the other meaning and that I have tricked you into thinking of it in that way because of the assumption we make every time we read anything in English. We are constantly um, um, playing the game with the author and agreeing to understand the meaning of the words that he has chosen. But you could easily, uh, you know, d- decide not to. And when, you know, that's what, why people who come to English as a second language have so much trouble with, because, you know, why, why is the word Q spelled Q-U-E-U-E? I mean, you know, I know. and why is a po- pool Q spelled C-U-E? I think I'm right in saying that the earliest crossword ever written in Russian, uh, published crossword, was by Vladimir Nabokov. Again, another writer who has sort of <laughs> oh, was it really? <laughs> it was. It's um, he, how does how does was... Nabokov stand up against Milne? Oh, but <laughs> totally. And Nabokov is is because his sense of language of English is exactly a foreigner's. Uh, a love of the fertility of the language. Um, exactly. And, it's uh, it, sort of arriving at the language with a natural sort of alienation wonder. from it, a sort of skepticism and, and therefore a sense of, of wonder and of enchantment and seeing, almost seeing words as sort of broken etymologies and, yes. and um, you see, be, see. being alert to those weird contingencies and parallels and discontinuities, which are after all how we read things in general. Yeah, yeah it was, uh, oh, I can't, I'm just gonna say we had, there was a question yesterday about, um, um, oh, the word charger, which means someone who charges something. It also means a horse, um, but it is also the word for that large platter that you put underneath, your, under, underneath a dish well, in very grand parties, uh. you will have. But you, 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 when you sit down in a restaurant, there's a there's a dish that they then take away. That's yes. a charger, uh, okay. and uh, then they put their uh, the uh, when they serve you, they put it on that dish. And so, why is that called a charger? So, I thought, okay, we'll look it up. Charger comes from an old French word. Chargier, meaning to load. Hmm. So I guess that's where the horse comes from, and that's where to charge something is to pile something on something. Um, and uh, and when you start getting interested in language like that, language starts to shimmer because we've we've pretty much lost. The, the etymology behind some words, but the, the complex etymology makes these words so kind of thrilling. Nabokov seemed to be 
just entranced with the wonder of the language, that this word should exist and that it has this meaning and that meaning, and therefore it means this. You know, French words mean French words. Right. <laughs> French words mean what they mean. But up. I took Japanese in high school. I took four years. And, you know, what you were saying about, you know, in English, we, we have lost these larger meanings. But in Japanese, in the written, in the kanji, in the characters, you can see, you know, like, electricity monster. Uh -huh. You know, you can see the, the way these, these kanji are built and constructed. You see these different elements of nature, these different concepts coming together in a single word, right? And it's you're very connected to it, or you can be very connected to it. In English, it's just like, <laughs> anything goes. But you're right. As soon as you find the etymology, it's these things well, it does. become it, rich. Yeah. <clears throat> and that's one of the interesting things about Ezra Pound absolutely detesting crosswords, because the, the book in which he writes that crosswords, well, specifically cryptic crosswords, represent an abomination to his taste. Uh, the ABC of reading also valorizes um, what he calls ideograms from uh, Chinese specifically. Um, and he thinks that poems could aspire to the sort of simultaneous quality of a, a visual depiction of language. And it strikes me that cryptic crosswords achieve that essentially because they, as they say, make make things shimmer again. They, they sort of overwrite words that have otherwise fallen to the quality of algebra and utility yeah. and reinvigorate yeah. I mean, them and the, resurrect them with, with new potential. There is a, um, an app that sends you a word of the day. Yes. And, and these words are beyond obscure. I mean, I mean, they're apartheogenesis or something. You go, what on earth is that? But what's interesting is the the derivation of it. These are, are legitimate words that once had some kind of practical use. They've fallen away because, uh, you know, the monks didn't <laughs> need them anymore. I would be curious to go back to this uh, this distaste for the modernists. <laughs> sure. <laughs> or the suspicion of the modernists, perhaps. I well, mean, it's, I, it's... I mean, well, actually, what? Well, maybe first. I mean, I'm I'm curious about what was your education like. Like, where did you, yes, yeah. Where did oh. you get this appreciation for language? Was it always just? I don't know. I used to read the dictionary. <laughs> He's holding his head in his hands. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I was I I grew up from second grade to eighth grade, and um, I was in a very small town. It's now huge in Long Island called Syosset, but then it was very small. My class was never larger than 13. And, um, and in that class were um, several uh, Italian kids who came from houses that didn't speak English. Um, there was one kid who would these days be called autistic, but who was um, he moved along with the class even though he couldn't keep up with the grades, but he he stayed with the class for for the, all that time, and then there was me, <laughs> and you know I had my marionette theater and I had all that stuff. So um, and I uh, developed a kind of a nervous tick, kind of like this, bouncing in my chair, and and it seemed to upset other students. So I was taken off to all sorts of therapists to find out why I had this tick. And the diagnosis was that I was bored. And the school was small enough to do things to keep me occupied. I mean, they invented a whole series of extracurricular activities of which I was the only member. <laughs> we had a school newspaper. I was the one who did it. Um, uh, I had a hobby club. I was the only person <laughs> I was always out in the hall painting murals that would go on the front of the balcony in the gym. Wow. Um, but they just, you know, I, I didn't, uh, you know, do anything. I, 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 I wrote a story once, and my English teacher was so completely bowled over by this little fantasy that I'd written uh, because nobody ever did anything like that. Not because it was so good, but just because nobody had ever done one. Um, and uh, 
and then I was, uh, but I, it, it, the, it was a low level of, of expectation at this school. I never wrote an essay. Mm-hmm. I, they didn't have such things. And, uh, and then I was sort of recruited to go to a prep school. And uh, they, my parents <laughs> put me on a train and sent me off to Exeter, New Hampshire. And uh, at the age of 12, and, uh, you know, and, and there I, 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 I you know, learned what an idea was and you know, what a thought was. And, and it, com- it was completely life-changing to, to, to go there. But I, what, what was this all about? I've forgotten. What well, was. I mean, I'm just, I was, I mean, you, oh. you answered it. This, you know, your educational background yeah. and that passion for language. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I would, uh, I, oh, I had, I, I had, uh, <laughs> I decided that my, our English class, wouldn't it be fun if, if everybody brought in a, a new word every week? And the English teacher thought that was wonderful. So a week went by and it came time to bring in the word. I was the only one who had a word. Uh-oh. And I had found the word, I had found the word stultify, mm. which, uh, it means to make stupid, uh, and the English teacher had never heard of this word. Oh no! And no one in the class had <laughs> ever heard of this word, and and she said, "Well, what does stultify mean?" And I said, "Well, it means to make stupid." And she said, "Why do we need a word that says that?" <laughs> <laughs> and that was the end of the. Let's bring in a new word every day. <laughs> I was a really happy kid. I was. I didn't. You know. I didn't have any friends, but I didn't care. I, you know. I was happy in my uh, strangeness. Yeah. Well. And is that relationship with the dictionary and with finding new words something that you've maintained today? I, it struck me because the pioneer of the cryptic crossword, a, um, a setter called Torquemada, who is a, a British poet, um, records. Is he a poet? Or- well, he was a, a trans- poet in translation, so he uh, translated mm-hmm. um, lots of poetry from all over the place, but uh, then turned his eye to um, cryptic crosswords, and often cryptic crosswords written in verse in the early 1920s. Yes, but when he had, yes. whenever he had writer's block, he would open a dictionary and doodle in chalk in the margins until he came across new words or sort of accidentally uh, joined one word with another and sort of had a little synaptic mm-hmm moment of congruity between two disparate things. So is that a sort of a refuge place for you? If you if you find yourself without a clue, yeah. as it were, well, is that where you go? I mean, clueless. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I would say, uh, I mean, it, it really bothers me that we don't crack open a dictionary anymore. I mean, there's no particular reason to go and I have the concise, you know, the two-volume OED, which is great. It gives you the etymology and everything else. And just going through it and finding the word is sort of magical. There is absolutely no reason to do that anymore. Hmm. You know, just Google, you know, agree definition, and uh, and it'll give you, you know, seven different dictionaries I always use the free dictionary because the free dictionary is a compilation of all the dictionaries. So, and it also has um, thesaurus in the back, which is at the bottom, which is um, gives you all the available easy definitions of something. Which, if you're doing the clues, you want to know that, you know. Mm-hmm. And oh, that's that's a definition that has a double meaning. That's great. So you can. You, you take that out. On the subject of that magic, you you, t- you spoke earlier about cryptic crosswords kind of rewriting your, your brain chemistry almost to make otherwise ordinary words shimmer. Does it feel like mm-hmm. when you walk around outside, you see a sign? Are you thinking in anagrams? Are you thinking in terms of that I'm, enchantment? I'm not. Do you, know, you, you know, do you know who Dick Cavett is? Yes. I do. He, <laughs> he, he you know, had a talk show. And, and it was a very erudite talk show. It was really great. And um, he was a classmate. Well, he was a year ahead of me at Yale. And um, 
uh, he can walk, he, he will see a, a, a sign and do an anagram of it automatically. That's just his mental perversity. And, uh. Well, I have a, an appropriate etymology for you then, which is that the word gimmick, one of the, well, one of the mooted origins for it is that it's a kind of slightly broken anagram of the word magic. Uh, it's sort of an, another iteration oh, really? of hocus pocus um, being hoc est meus corpus or something like that. The idea of kind of the oh. magic of words instantiating something about the world and kind of rewriting the world in a, a new and surprising form. Well, what do you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, you were, you were decrying uh, Google a bit, rightly so. But I, so I have to ask about another oodle, another, another digital bug boob, because last year Wordle sold for an undisclosed seven-figure sum to the New York Times. And it's not really Harper's unless we make fun of the New York Times. And this, the general appetite for word games seems to be more robust than ever. Do you think... It is true. I mean, uh, I, uh, I do the spelling bee every morning. Yeah. And I do the, the Wordle at midnight when the new one comes out. Um, it, you know, it, and it becomes a badge of honor if I get it in three words or four. And a disaster if I go past. <laughs> I mean, I once, w once I got to there and made the wrong choice on a, on a, on a blank A, blank, blank, blank A, blank L-E. And there are just so many different choices there that, um, um, and I picked the wrong one, which broke the record of, you know, I, just, I had like 50 in a row, and now I had to go back to zero and start over again. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, you play all those little games with yourself. Um, and, uh, yeah, they didn't, you know, my son, who couldn't care less about word games, um, does Wordle every, and does the spelling bee, um, you know. Uh, and, yes, I think that there is a, a, a it's interesting. As the language gets more and more debased, people seem to be more interested in language. Yeah. But, and uh, so do you see cryptic crosswords rising in popularity? Then? They are. They just simply are. I mean, uh, that the Times prints a cryptic puzzle is, you know, every eight weeks or so is, is, a, is a big deal. Um, they used to have something called puns and anagrams, which is deeply annoying. But uh, uh, and 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 they they still do that every now and then. I mean, it's just it has no uh, wit to it. I think, but you know, what well, do I know? <laughs> well, no, I mean, I I was I was going to ask: Are there any sort of um, types of puzzles that you find? just debased or no real talent required uh no i mean the wordle is is miraculously simple you know and uh you 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 have you have six tries to find a word there are 26 letters that's all of which you know 10 of them are not going to show up very often although Kazoo was there a couple of days ago. So. <laughs> Which I didn't get in but six. You didn't get in six? I didn't get Kazoo. I thought it was a trademark. So it didn't cross my mind. Or at least that's my excuse. Oh, oh no. Um, no, I, I, I got it. Um, I got it because I'd learned my lesson. And, and I didn't have any letters i just the a and uh so i i used pious because pious has i o and u and and uh so you get if you just know if there's another another vowel in it and the only one that came up was the o and i don't know where it when did i get some other somewhere else i had a, one of the other letters and the only way i could there was no other place for 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 uh, for an ending except to have it be another O, and then there's only Kazoo. So that's how I got it. 
That's so boring to hear. Isn't no, it? <laughs> no, 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 no. I, <laughs> it is. It is. It is because again, it's deceptively simple. That's what. That is it, the. Uh, that's that's what's good about it. It yes. is anybody can do it. You 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 know pretty much you use you know. Uh, I use early. My son uses relay, which are the same letters. Yes. That gets rid of e a and y right at the beginning plus r and l. Most words have E and A in it, and so that gives you some kind of start. And if it doesn't have an E and A, Pius is very helpful. Yeah. It'll no. tell you what else you got, you know. I was thinking of uh, how people go about solving Wheel of Fortune, which is very much the same mechanism yeah. where you want to get RST, you know, you want to get all of your the, yeah, the yeah, yeah. common it, consonants out of the way. It is, it's, uh, I mean, people are really addicted to that Wheel of Fortune game. The letters come up. I mean, it's been there for 35 years or something like that. No skill required, no skill <laughs> I say. <laughs> but interestingly enough, you know, the parallel game show by the same guy is Jeopardy, which is in entirely arcane information. Absolutely. And, um, and that's just as popular. Absolutely. So, but I think word games are, seem to be coming back one thing that's interesting is that rap is a word game. Absolutely. I, I mean, if you've ever w watched a rap battle, you know, the, where the people are making up the, the poems on them. On, I mean, that's astonishing to me. And it's completely about the sound of language. Of, you know, that poetry I love. <laughs> Absolutely. No, it's... Well, Roddy, did you want to ask anything? I know this is... It's so... We could go so many different directions, but well, actually, let me let me. Well, you, no, go ahead, Roddy. I feel like uh, I can hear uh, you. Uh, <laughs> you want no, to I, I have. <laughs> no, I have a, a stray question that is a, a non sequitur from what we're talking about, so I can oh, ask that if you'd like. Or go for um, it. Go for it. The themes that you design, Richard, are incredibly complicated and often have multiple sort of levels of deception or effort built into them, and I wonder if beyond the rubric you supply at the beginning of puzzles, have you ever smuggled Easter eggs into puzzles that no one spotted? You themed one of your puzzles around Hirschfield's Ninas, for example, or words um, sort of hidden diagonally and backwards in puzzles, and I wondered if you've ever smuggled something in yourself. A guy was getting married to a guy who was a puzzle nut and asked whether I would put the proposal in a puzzle Aww. and the, and so i i found a way of, of of uh hiding the 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 proposal in a diagram I, and and then uh, the pandemic came came and they uh, the actual wedding didn't take place for several years and finally it did take place and the guy who was the puzzle nut had had done a puzzle that was all based on the word I the words I do um, and uh, and it was really really cleverly done mm -hmm. and so I worked with him on that and we actually printed that so the first one was had a message that was you know comprehensible to anybody solving it but it was specifically for someone for for one person and uh, mm -hmm. Uh, and it was a good puzzle, I thought. Who's been your favorite collaborator? I mean, in terms of puzzles? Yeah. Well, I've only had one. Ed Galley did one. Mm. I, I mean, if you don't, if you leave out my testers, who are all my favorites. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> no, they really are. I mean, yeah, I've, I've, yeah. I've, I've got a, a guy in Canada who is a very well-known actor and director. Um, and uh, he he just is inspired by this. I mean, he just loves to give me a different clue or tell me that this isn't fair or <laughs> point out that I've spelled something wrong or that the definition isn't correct or, you know. And Roddy, who is, um, is scrupulous to the point of being very annoying, and, uh, <laughs> but he's, he's, he's wonderful. Uh, you know, nobody's... He's great. He's very generous, actually, in terms of 
<laughs> pointing out a mistake in such a way that it doesn't sound like he's being a nitpicker. <laughs> a, ra- a rare talent. A ra- it's a it's a rare talent. He, no, he's he, he is delightful. He also sends a an exegesis on the puzzle that's about eight pages long in color. <laughs> Every clue that's is highlighted. By the way, not try to highlight something that doesn't have such a dark green because it it eliminates the words when you print them out. Okay. P- pick a highlighter in a in a lighter color. I just okay. this is my chance to kind of get that message to you. <laughs> sure. Just, so, just hide it in the hide it in the answer. Yes. Um, yeah, I'm just I'm well, trying to encrypt my own responses. Turn it into a puzzle. Yeah. Yes. Well, there you go. <laughs> well, I just you know I can't I, I don't remember what what's what's there. So. Well, this has been an absolute delight. Well, Thank you so been much fun for this. For me. Your time. Good. Yeah. And it reminds me, it's the 19th, and I've got to get going on the next one. Oh, shoot. <laughs> get to work. Yeah, exactly so. <laughs> You've been listening to the Harper's Magazine podcast. The music is Cut and Shoot by Febrifuge. Harper's Magazine is the oldest general interest monthly in America, exploring the issues that drive our national conversation through long-form narrative journalism and essays. To get 12 issues for $21.97, visit harpers.org save.